We're talking Giants football with Coach Gene Clemens of Giants Country. Check out some of his interesting and unique takes on what the Giants might do and how they can scheme around some certain deficiencies that they might end up with. That's coming up next on the Locked on Giants podcast. You are Locked on Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Lachlan Giants podcast, part of the Lachlan Podcast family, your team every day. Patricia Trainer here with you. Thank you so much for making us your first listen of the day, or if you're watching on YouTube, your first watch of the day. Do appreciate you tuning in every day if you are. And if you're not tuning in every day, well, let me know what I can do to make that change. You know, I, I would welcome to have y'all tune in every day, if, even if it's just for a little bit to catch a little bit of the show each and every day. But anyway, coming up on today's show, Coach Gene Clemens, yes, he is an actual football coach. That's why we call him Coach Gene Clemens, is going to be my special guest. And we talked about the Giants offense and defense and certain things that we think might be implemented by the coaching staff. And we talked about some of the personnel, uh, some of the decisions that have to be made involving James Bradbury, involving some of the linebackers, involving Saquon Barkley. Coach Gene had all kinds of different takes on uh on these perspectives, some, some different stuff. And he's talking, of course, from an X's and O's perspective. So that interview is coming up in just a bit. But before we get to that, just want to give you a heads up on what remains this week on the Locked on Giants podcast. I'm going to have a sports doctor on a Friday show. And we are going to talk about the Giants injury situation, which, as everybody knows, the Giants have been one of the most injured teams over the last several years. So I was able to reach out and book a sports medicine doctor who is going to be on the show uh, tomorrow. And we are going to talk about some of the training, some of the um, these injuries, what can be done to prevent them, the effects, and so on and so forth. So that is coming up on Friday's show. I hope you will check that out. Um, promises to be a good one, and I'm looking forward to doing that. So that said, let us get into the interview today with Coach Gene Clemens. Again, he is a writer at Giants Country. He also writes for The Athletic and uh, really good X's and O's guys. So let's get that started for you right now. All right, Giant fans, welcome back to the Locked on Giants podcast. I am Patricia Trena, and I am now joined by Coach Gene Clemens. He is a writer for Giants Country. He does a really good job. Check out his work. He breaks down the X's and O's like no one's business. And uh, Coach Gene, happy to have you on with me as always. Thank you for having me. I, I really do appreciate it. All right. Well, Coach Gene, we got a lot to talk about, about this Giants team new coaching staff, um, basically a new roster is going to be shaped up to, and put together. But let's start off 
and let me get your impressions on this coaching staff. What do you like about it? What is still giving you some trepidation? And what do you think the staff is capable of, of putting forth as far as the scheme and as far as results are concerned? I, I think that defensively, um, the they'll be okay. Um, I think that the transition from um, or the transition to to, to Coach Wink is not going to be um, too different as far as the way in which things are employed. Um, you know, he, he'll probably still have a, a base three-man front, which will fit right in with what the, the Giants have been doing defensively. I think the one thing concerns that would concern me defensively would be, um, you know, Coach, Coach Wink's, his defense, they play a lot more man-to-man than um, maybe we saw out of out of Coach Graham, and it'll be interesting to see if they feel comfortable with all of the defensive backs being able to um, play a lot more man to man. And if so, they really have to make sure that they're getting home. Um, I, I expect to see the level, the amount of blitzes um, increase significantly from what we saw with with with, with Coach Graham. And so it'll be interesting to see if they're comfortable or if they think they need to make a move for another defensive back to really shore up the ability to cover man to man. Um, offensively, it'll be interesting because you're melding, you're 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 putting together minds of two guys that come from two systems that's built off of trying to be innovative, um, but also have elite level talent. At, at, at the position. Um, even, even with the development of Josh Allen, they were working with a raw ultra athlete. It wasn't like they were working with somebody who could like who didn't already have all of the skills necessary to be a, a supremely talented quarterback in the NFL. They had a guy who was raw, who needed to grow, who needed to learn and understand the game um, upstairs. With, 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 with Daniel Jones, it's not that he doesn't understand the game. He's not a he's not a, a, a dumb football player by any stretch of the imagination. You just wonder if he has that ability to do the things like Josh Allen, like Patrick Mahomes are able to do, because that's asking a lot, because not really many other people can do that. So it'll be interesting to see how the offense shakes out, what type of game plan they put together for um for him to be successful um, and, and whether or not they, they can still keep that same level of innovation that they had um, in, in Kansas city, where you're dealing with essentially a four by 100 um, meter relay team out there, wide receiver. And in, you know, in um, Buffalo where you had some of the best route runners and pass catchers that the league has all assembled on one on, you know, on one field. So we'll see what shakes out with that offensively, but but you have to like the fact that they bring that level of innovation with them um, from, from those other places. Now, now, Gene, let me ask you this. We have heard a lot that Coach Wink can scheme a pass rush. Can you explain how a defense coordinator actually can scheme a pass rush if he doesn't necessarily have like a blue goose pass rusher? Well, there's a way you can scheme a, a pass rush or you can scheme a, a, 
a guy to get a one-on-one matchup. But let's not be mistaken, Wink Martindale has always had a pass rusher. Like, the Ravens keep a high-level pass rusher. Even when they let one go, they usually bring another one in. Um, but I think we just saw it in the in the Super Bowl. Um, there was a point in the time where um, Coach Raheem, we line three guys up on one side of, of, of the ball, and then they had a, a guy like Von Miller by himself on the other side. So you had essentially two gaps uncovered. You had the A gap and then the B gap to that side uncovered. But, but because it's an obvious passing down, you're not worried about those gaps being attacked. And then what that does is that makes that entire offensive line shift to the three on Russia's side, which gives Von Miller a one-on-one look. And when, you, when you're able to put a guy like Von Miller one-on-one, there's a better-than-likely chance he's going to succeed, um, similar to what was happening in the end of that game with Aaron Donald, where they were forced to block Aaron Donald one-on-one, and nobody should be forced to block Aaron Donald one-on-one because you're probably going to lose that matchup. I actually think that the Giants have personnel that if they get one-on-one matchups, they can win. Um, but I think that what they what they tried to do last year was really be more gap control. And because they were trying to control gaps and, and, and play guys as, as maybe two gap defenders or maybe just trying to control a particular gap, they weren't able to get as much consistent pressure. You will see, you will see Coach Wink set up those situations that get guys one-on-one pass rushing opportunities, but they're still going to have to win. And I think that, that that's what they talk about when they're saying scheming up. You want to make sure that your best pass rusher has the ability to go one-on-one versus an, an offensive lineman. And if that's the case, usually your pass rusher is going to win. Now they also talk about the back end of the defense and how we'll probably see more man-to-man coverage. I think Adoree Jackson is capable of playing man-to-man. James Bradbury, there's been some debate as to whether or not he can play consistent man-to-man, plus he's got a, a high cap number. I mean, do you think there's a, that they have what they need right now in that defensive secondary to, to support the more man-to-man coverage? Do you think maybe James Bradbury is going to be the odd man out, not just because of his cap figure, which is just absolutely, you know, it's got to be addressed one way or another, but in terms of skill set, because obviously if he's a fit, there's a way to make that thing work. Well, I think that, number one, James Bradbury is still a really good defensive back. Um, Whether or not he, you want him playing man-to-man, you know, um, you know, 70 snaps a game I don't know um I I think that maybe he may be getting a little bit longer in the tooth for that he's got some miles on him now he's been asked to cover the best receivers in the game for you know five to six years straight now that's going to take a toll on you toll on your body so I don't know if if the answer is to to have him playing man-to-man the entire game and so if that's the case and you don't like his cap number, even though you you gave him a contract and he deserves to be paid for that contract because he's done admirable work. Maybe it is time to make a move and, and try to get value for him while allowing him to continue his career somewhere else where his value would be higher because the scheme matches his skill set better. As far as Adoree Jackson, 
yeah, he can play man to man, but he he gets cooked just like everybody else gets cooked. So this is an offensive league. And so what you really have to have is you have to have defensive backs who tackle because they're going to get they're going to be balls caught on them. And that's that's a given. The, 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 the bat breaker is when you miss tackles after the catch. And now those guys are able to run. I think that I think that the Giants have a lot of defensive backs who are who are pretty good tacklers. And I think that's where the, the decisions get made at. A lot gets made about Jalen Ramsey and Jalen Ramsey balls getting caught on him. And and I always point to the fact that most of the time when the ball is caught on him, he makes a tackle, which usually keeps people from going. Like it's not shutting someone out from catching the ball. It's making sure that they don't turn a five-yard catch into a 15-yard catch and a 20-yard catch into a touchdown. And so if that's the case, I think that a guy like Bradbury still has value. I think that Adoree Jackson has to get better with his tackling. But I also really love what, you know, what, what, what Logan brings. I love what, what Zay brings. They, they have the ability to get out there and, and line up and match up with receivers and give you that tackling aspect that allows you to bring more rushers, um, which is something that Wink likes to do, obviously. But also, I, I think in order to do that, you're going to have to, to, to improve your, your interior linebackers. And this draft has a lot of guys who I believe can, can step in and give you quality minutes day one, and you don't, you don't have to be looking to identify those guys in the first round. Um, I think you can find those guys on day three. You know, I was just going to ask you about the interior linebackers because a lot of people aren't talking about that as a need for this defense. You know, Blake Martinez is coming off of a, a torn ACL, has a high cap number. You know, Tate Crowder was okay, but, you know, they could probably upgrade. And then they went through Benardrick McKinney. They went through um, Reggie Ragland, Jalen Smith a little bit, you know, and, and mixed results. So can you, like, explain why that is such a critical component to what the Giants are trying to do on defense? Well, because if, if, if we've seen every, anything about um, a, 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 wink, a wink defense is that when they're bringing pressure, wherever they bring pressure from, there's going to be an escape area. And when you have an escape area, you need linebackers that are able to um, be able to fill that lane and make sure that no one gets, gets away. You also need linebackers that are able to cover because if you're playing man-to-man and you're bringing extra bodies, then that means that almost everyone's in coverage. And, and if your linebackers can't cover, now that now once they identify that your linebacker can't cover, they will just exploit that linebacker all day. And so you need guys that are, 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 are not just able to attack the line of scrimmage and, and be able to plug gaps. You need guys who can attack the line of scrimmage, plug gaps, blitz, and cover. That's the part that I think that the Giants are missing right now is a guy on the interior that really gives you all of those abilities at a high level. And I, and I think that that can be addressed either through platooning guys or through replacing them with guys who have those abilities to do everything. All right, Giant fans, we have more coming up on today's Locked on Giants podcast. But first, football season might be over, but basketball is in full steam for both the pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired head coach is going to land, 
BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. And BetOnline.net is also the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season, whether it's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, plus Olympic coverage and information. So head on over to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online where the game starts. So if you had to prioritize the needs on defense, would it be fair to say cover corner or man-to-man corner, then maybe edge rusher, then interior? How would you stack up the, the priorities if you were drafting for the Giants? If I was drafting for the Giants and no one's going to want to hear this, I would nose guard would be priority. If we saw what happened in the run game last year with this defense, when 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 they, they traded away their nose guard and decided that they were going to go with this, you know, kind of hodgepodge look um, in that interior, we saw what it did to the defense. I think that it, that nose guard is a priority. There are some really really good nose guards in this in this draft um, that you can either get early. I think there's value in the mid rounds as well that you can you can come up on a nose guard that can that can come in and really hold the fort down and let those two ends be who they are. Um, and then I would go with coverage corner. I think you need to go out and get a young guy that can that can cover. Now, as far as how that how that falls in the draft, if the if if the elite level coverage guy is there, you take the elite level coverage guy right now. It's a passing league. You've got to do it. If there's no elite level coverage guy there right now, but there's the interior, the interior nose guard there, that's who you take. And you don't take a tweener. You need a guy that can play that position. We don't need, um, if, if, I'm, if I'm coaching that team, I'm saying we don't need another three tech that we're trying to play at as a nose. We need a nose guard because we, when it, when it becomes an obvious passing down, those other two ends have shown that they can play all across the line. And Leonard Williams is probably the most, um, the most Swiss Army knife defensive lineman in the league. He can play anywhere on the line. And so if you get into an obvious passing down, you can see him playing anywhere across that line. So that's not the, not, that's not the necessity. The necessity is for a guy that can command the A-gaps and make them go guard to guard and not be able to come straight downhill, that's the that's a priority. And so if that guy's there or if the coverage corner is there, I think that's where the Giants need to go with their with their initial pick. All right, something different. And you know, interesting you say that because the Giants have Austin Johnson's gonna be an unrestricted free agent. Um, Danny Shelton last year really didn't work out. And you know, I thought they were missing Dalvin Tomlinson who, you know, sure. they were that I thought that was a big, you know, hole, if you will, on that defensive front, and and it's so true because you're right. They were trying to play guys, and I, I just wondered if maybe Dexter Williams might be, uh, you know, or, or De- I'm sorry, Dexter Williams, Dexter Lawrence, my Dexter my bad. Um, I thought maybe he might be a candidate to play that nose guard because you know I I don't know that they got what they were maybe looking for out of him last year. I mean, do they have that guy, you know, can Dexter Lawrence be that nose guard, do you think, or do they just absolutely need to go and, and start from scratch at that position? Well, well, that's going to, that's going to depend on how Wink wants to play this defense. If he wants it to get more athletic, more, 
you know, more diverse, moving, moving Lawrence down to nose or to a one tech wouldn't necessarily be a bad, bad thing. But now you have to bring in another legitimate five technique or four eye to be able to play there because you can't just throw uh, an edge rusher down there. I think we did too much of throwing. They did too much of throwing outside linebackers as down linemen last year. Um, a little bit, a little bit too much asking those guys to hold up consistently versus the run is not fair to them. That's not what they do best. I would love for them to get back to allowing those guys to do what they do best, which is rush the passer, chase ball, chase runs down from behind, come off edge, shoot gaps, and then allow those three guys to play the interior the way the interior is supposed to be played in the 30 front. All right. Now, Coach Sheen, let's talk about the offensive side of the ball because obviously they got a lot more problems, I think, on that side of the ball. You mentioned finding what Daniel Jones does best. We've seen little bits and pieces since Daniel Jones has come to the Giants. Um, Coach Dable said in his opening press conference that he went to Daniel Jones and, and said, give me a list of three or four things that you like to do, and we'll start from there in building this offense. If you're putting this together based on the film that you've seen, what are some of the concepts that you're going to maybe take that Daniel Jones does best and then kind of marrying those concepts with what was done in Buffalo versus and Kansas City, which are two very different systems? Yeah, I think I think the one thing that both of those systems have in, in common is that they really do attack the, the intermediate area more than people would believe. I think that's a product of being able to go deep as much as they're able to go deep because they have strong arm quarterbacks who are willing to pull the trigger. Um, one of the things that I talked about in my piece that I did on Kafka was that he was going to really – um, try to instill into the head of Daniel Jones, hey, let the ball go. You know, when don't wait. Like when you see it and it's, you know, the old adage is if he's even, he's leaving. Um, in, 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 in the NFL, it's even, it's even more pronounced. Like if he's close, you know, just let it go. And I think we can, we've seen many times on film where Daniel Jones had the opportunity to let the ball go and just held it another second and now all of a sudden he's he's on the run or he's sacked or or the ball isn't completed because he waited too long. And then that becomes an issue where people start pointing the blame. And to a certain extent, Daniel Jones has skirted a lot of this blame because they've given they've given the, the credit to everybody else or the blame to everyone else. Oh, well, the offensive line is this. Oh, well, the the the, the scheme is this and the receivers aren't doing this. Well, at some point, the Bucs got to stop at the quarterback. And so, you know, to me, if I'm Brian Dable, I'm looking at this going, I don't know if he's my guy. I don't really feel comfortable going into the season with him as my guy. But since he said it, I think he, you, have to, you have to look at how you can attack the intermediate area. Um, getting, guys like, um, getting guys like Kenny Galladay back to being a, a, a targets guy, just not enough targets for Kenny Galladay last year. If you're going to bring him in to be your one and he's supposed to be your one and he's getting, you know, three and four targets in a game, that's probably not going to work. So I, I would expect to see whomever they decide is their one 
is their guy. I expect to see high targets for those guys. Um, a lot, a lot of three, a lot of three receiver sets, and really using um, Ingram as that tight end kind of fourth receiver um, in that in that situation to allow Daniel Jones to get the ball out of his hand quickly. The the progression that we saw in Josh Allen wasn't that he all of a sudden became a better downfield passer. He got really good at getting the ball to the easy throws quickly. And so once you see, it's, it's just like a basketball shot. Once you see those completions happening, all of a sudden it just, it, it, it makes your confidence go up. And so I can see them doing a lot of quick throws, boom, 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 get them, get them out. You, you should probably see a, a lot more attempts from Daniel Jones than we've seen in the past and, and really getting him comfortable with throwing it. And then we've got to see him unleash it downfield um, on a regular basis to really try to spread that defense out and create the opportunities for the big plays intermediately where, where guys like um, um, where guys like Kadarius Toney and, and Shepard can work, get the ball, and then do something after the catch where we know that both of those guys are, are lethal with the ball in their hands after the catch. You mentioned Evan Ingram. He is a free agent, and a lot of people, including myself, aren't so sure he's going to be back. But that being said, given that there is going to be a change in this offense, is he a fit for what Kafka and, and Dable might potentially do? Or do you do you say to yourself, you know what, they played, you know, in Buffalo, they p- played a high of 71% 11 personnel. They didn't do a whole lot in terms of 12 and 13. So do you move on from Ingram? Do you say, okay, look, he still has enough skill set to where he can be a fit and be effective in this offense? Or do you just go with a younger uh, draft pick, for example, at tight end? I mean, I, I think that you have to ask yourself, what tight end are you going to get that's better than Evan Ingram? Like, there's not, a, there's not one out there. I can, I'll, I'll, I'll save you the, the suspense. There's not one out there that they're going to want to invest in with the draft capital that they're going to need to invest in to get that one. Um, I think both of the, both of the tight ends that are, are being considered as the top tight end. I think both of them are gone day one or day two. And so I don't think you're going to spend a day one or day two pick on the tight end. When you have so many needs on the defensive end, and you're probably going to end up addressing the offensive line if you can, because why not? So, like, with that being said, like, who are you going to get that's better than Evan Ingram? I don't think that that answer is on the Giants roster. And I don't think unless you're going to bring in an O.J. Howard, who's a, who's a free agent, if you, if you can bring in an O.J. Howard to come in and now be an elite-level blocker as a tight end, as well as somebody that brings you plus athleticism in the passing game, that, that could be an option. But O.J. Howard is not as good of a receiver as Evan Ingram is. I think if you're looking at the offenses that both Allen, I mean, that both Dable and, and Kafka come from, they both have receivers, I mean, tight ends that have receiving skills. So that's probably the way that they're going to try to go this time around. Let me ask you about the offensive line, because I think everybody can agree the Giants need to redo their offensive line. 
they're they've got two first round picks and you know some people are going to be of the school thought that you don't take a guard or a center at number five you don't take a guard or a center at number seven but in terms of rebuilding this offensive line okay andrew thomas we know he's he's automatic what's the next biggest priority do you think in terms of putting together a solid offensive line i've seen anywhere from right tackle to center to to left guard being priority for this type of offense or an offense in general what is the next most important position on that that offensive line i think one of the things that we have to look at is that the the right tackle position if if that guy's not on your roster currently, then you have to address it. With the way these pass rushers are, are today, you cannot afford to put out guys who are not starting level right tackles. In t- in, on the interior, they have to get some consistency. I mean, that's really where it comes down to me is they have no consistency. There's been guys in and out, rotating through. Some of that is a product of um, injuries and injuries are going to happen. but None of those guys that are in the on the interior have been that seem to be guys that they have any long term like faith in. And if you don't have long term faith in them, then get them out of there. Like you need to get guys in there that you're looking at and going, we have plans for this young man long term. And if you're not doing that, you probably need to, um, you know, make some replacements. Now, I'm of the mindset that you don't take offensive linemen in the first round unless they are all pros if you don't have an all pro caliber guy or a guy that you have said this guy is going to be an all pro and then be willing to stand in it when he's not then you don't take him in the first round if you look at the successful teams in the league most of them are not out there rolling around with first round draft picks on the offensive line that they drafted they're all retreads and 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 guys that they got off of the the, the 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 free agents or the third and fourth and fifth round picks who developed into really good offensive linemen. So if we if we can see the Rams win a Super Bowl with a 187 year old left tackle out there, then what are we doing? I mean, like what why why would we ever why would you ever um pass over the game changers that you need in the first round for an offensive lineman? unless that offensive lineman was a legitimate game changer. People are talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. If you switch Penny Sewell into the Bengals and take and, and, and take away um, Jamar Chase, they don't make the playoffs. It's not even a situation where they're in the Super Bowl. They don't make the playoffs. Jamar Chase is special. Let, tell me the last time that you talked about an offensive lineman with the word special in front of him. I'll wait. So if you're not getting someone that's special, if you're not getting Joe Thomas, you know, if you're not getting Joe Thomas, if you're not getting, I, I think that 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 the the argument can be made that the that the Browns hit the home run with with with, with Jared Wills, that the Bucks hit the home run with their right tackle because he's an All Pro in year two. But is he an All Pro or is he an All Pro because of the offense that he played in and the quarterback that he protected? So, so what's the difference? So it needs to be addressed and you need to be addressing it with guys that you feel can play for longer than a year or two, but I don't think you need to reach 
So if you don't see those guys with the value at those draft picks and you don't see anybody there at the value, you need to be looking to get out of that pick. But if you do and you see the value at defensive back or defensive line or 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 whatever other position, maybe a quarterback comes out late that you didn't think was going to drop that you're able to get. You've got to go that way. You can't you can't try to overvalue those guys because that's when you get the scrutiny. All right, a couple more for you, Coach Gene. You have said in the past that a good quarterback can help mask a lot of deficiencies on and off uh, on an offensive line. How so? Well, number one, um, offensive linemen they they exist in a world where they need to know where you are. So understanding that how you like to move and how you like to navigate the pocket can help an offensive lineman out. For instance, tackles who know that their quarterbacks are are really mobile, they're they're willing to overset and allow a defensive end to try to make that inside move because they know their quarterback will just escape to the outside. But when you have a quarterback who's not really as mobile, you tend to try to run that defensive lineman around the outside of the quarterback so that all he has to do is step up into the pocket because his lateral quickness isn't as, as good. So that's, that's one of the ways that understanding your quarterback can help. But also, we talked about it. What's Daniel Jones' biggest issue? In my, in my opinion, is getting rid of the ball. So if your quarterback has that timer in his head and is comfortable sitting in that, knowing that they have to get that ball off, when they're getting the ball off faster, their offensive linemen don't have to worry about giving up coverage sacks. And so from that, a quarterback can help. For years in New England, they didn't have, you know, top draft picks at, at the offensive line everywhere. Most of their offensive linemen were, were second, third, fifth undrafted free agents outside of maybe one that they would keep that was a first rounder. So if, if they're able to do it and their philosophy was catch, look, decipher throw then other people can do it as well so sat numbers go down when your quarterback's more athletic and uses their athleticism to their to their advantage sat numbers go down when your quarterback is able to quickly diagnose the defense and get the ball out of his hands quicker so those are two ways that the quarterback can help the offensive line but it always is predicated on the quarterback being able to make quick decisive decisions which Daniel Jones at times doesn't do, which is Absolutely. a problem. Absolutely. So that's something they're going to have to definitely adjust. All right. Now, final question. I saved this one for last. Saquon Barkley. There is a debate whether the Giants need him to make this offense that Brian Dable and Mike Kafka are going to run per, or can they maybe move on from Saquon Barkley? Is he a luxury at this point, given the fact that when he's been out of the lineup, the running game hasn't really dropped off as much in terms of production. Saquon is a special talent. I think we can all agree on that. If you're making this call for the Giants, do you look to keep Saquon? Do you look to move him for maybe some mid-round draft picks since, you know, this team needs several players? Where do you fall on the Saquon Barkley debate? Okay, so I'm going to answer that in two different ways. Number one, this is me. 
I fall on the Saquon Barkley debate. And when you have a Saquon Barkley, you feature a Saquon Barkley. It's that simple. Now, if you bring in Brian Dable and he comes the running back within their offense and you come from um, Kansas City where they have devalued the running back in their offense because of the way in which they employ the passing game, maybe, maybe that is something that you think about um, moving on from. But in fairness to Saquon, neither one of those teams have a Saquon Barkley on it. So who knows what they would have done if they had a Saquon Barkley level talent. I think that I think that we should we should be looking at Saquon in the same lights that you look at a healthy a healthy Christian McCaffrey, the same way that you look at a healthy um, Kamara um, Malik Kamara, Alvin Kamara. Excuse me, not Malik Kamara. If you're you're saying that those that those players, it doesn't matter what scheme they're in, they're not luxuries. They're necessities for winning because they bring you plus in the running game and plus in the passing game. So if I'm looking at a Saquon Barkley and going, hey, you bring me plus in the running game and plus in the passing game, then I need to use you in the same dynamic as I would use a wide receiver that might bring me a plus in the running game and a plus in the passing game. So I think that's where the value is really, really diversifying how you use Saquon. And if you're doing that, then that's not a luxury. Like, is it a luxury to have two number one receivers or three number one receivers? No, ask Tampa Bay. At one receivers out there at one time, nobody was like, man, they have a luxury out there. No, they needed all three of those guys. They won a Super Bowl because of it. When they lost two of them, guess what? They were ordinary. And so, like, when you have Saquon Barkley as, as, as good of a running back as I think that Devin Booker is, he's not Saquon Barkley. There's no Saquon Barkleys in the draft. So the bird in the hand is always better than the two in the bush, in my, in my opinion, especially when the bird in the hand wears number 26. So if you've got Saquon Barkley, you find a way to use him. That's me talking Coach Clemens. I could see an argument, though, if we're looking at it from the standpoint of what we've seen these two guys do in their offenses for their respective teams. But again, I say that knowing that neither one of those guys had Saquon Barkley at their disposal. And certainly now that they do have a Saquon Barkley, assuming that he is healthy, now maybe they can do stuff that you know, throw some new wrinkles in there that maybe didn't exist in Buffalo, didn't exist in Kansas City. I mean, I know Kansas City had C C E H Clyde. Uh, hello, what Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Yes, that Clyde, see, my brother always refers to him as C E H because he's a Chiefs fan. So uh, they had him, I think, up in Buffalo. I mean, I can't even remember who Buffalo's running back was. Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary. Um, who was a third round backs. pick, if I'm not yep, mistaken. Moss. And, yeah. and I mean, again, I think Clyde Edwards Hilaire is a is a good back. But what look at how much more dynamic they were with a Jared McKinnon who brought that level of speed and athleticism with them as well. 
and now juxtapose those two backs, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and, you know, Jared McKinnon, combine them into one. That's Saquon Barkley. So, like, he has the speed, the athleticism. He has the ability to catch it out the backfield. He has the ability to be a, a, an elite-level runner. Now he's going to get an offseason of health, which we haven't seen in a while. Well, how does he come back from that? I'm really looking forward to seeing this season from Saquon because it's hard to just spend your offseason rehabbing every single year when you don't get an opportunity to really let your body reset because no one talks about it, but rehab doesn't always just build your body up. Rehab sometimes continues to break your body down. It's, it's building up the thing that's the thing that needs to be built up while also deteriorating the things around it. So all of a sudden the, the knees better, but the ankle gets hurt and the ankles better, but the quad goes down and the quads better, but the hamstring pulls. So getting an, an entire season to really be able to recover and build your body up the right way to get ready for a grueling, you know, um, 18 week season and hopefully a playoff run. That's tough. And so it'll be interesting to see what he looks like. I'm, I'm really, I really think we may see the best version of Saquon this year, especially if he gets an opportunity to work in an offense that features him the way that he could be featured. You know, that's a great point, you know, about, about rehab and, and so true. The last couple of years, he hasn't been able to, to really focus fully on training because he's had an ankle injury. He's had the knee injury, you know, just, and it does make a difference. So that's a really good point. And, you know, I'm curious to see what they do with him because from a long-term perspective, you know, if he has a good year, Daniel Jones has a good year. Do you sign both of them at the end of this year, you know, tw- coming up? Or do you just move on and, and, and say, okay, we're going to go with the quarterback over the running back? So that's why I wondered if maybe from a pr- business perspective, and I look at it, you know, from a business perspective, as well as the X's and O's, does it make sense to try to move on from Barkley? I'm not saying that they should. I wouldn't mind if Barkley is part of this offense, but... I'm just curious to see what they do because, you know, he could have this great year and then they can move him or he might, you know, who knows? <laughs> I mean, we I, haven't I, seen. I think, I think what, I think the, the business side of it is what value are we getting for Barkley right now? Is someone going to give us a first for Barkley? Is someone going to give us a second and a third for Barkley? If you're not getting starter value in, in return for Barkley, then why would you trade him? Um, I think we've seen that, teams are willing to just let you kind of figure it out with the running back thing. We saw that with, um, with, with, with Leonard Fournette, where he's a first round talent who had a really good season, but was bumping heads with the, with, with the, with the, with the the front office and they just let him go. So what's the motivation for teams to, 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 to make trades and give up value for a running back? when most likely that team will just let that running back go. So it'll be interesting to see how that happens. If they do decide that they want to move on, I want to know what type of compensation that they're looking to get for him because I'm not giving Saquon Barkley up for a ham sandwich. (laughs) I don't blame you, man. I I don't think anybody would give him up for a ham sandwich. I mean, you want to get at least a couple of draft picks, whether they be day two starters or, you know, uh, high day three or something like that but it is an interesting debate it is an interesting topic and 
Um, you know, I know in Buffalo, like I said, uh, Singletary was a third round pick. So we'll see if Joe Shane ha- carries that down with him because that's going to, I think, lie on his his decision uh, with some input, put, of course, from Brian Dable. So, all right, Coach Gene, appreciate the feedback as always. Great stuff. He makes so many good points. Folks, you can find him on Giants Country. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter. You can see his Twitter handle below. Uh, does a great job, and I'm sure, you know, as the Giants get into free agency and whatever moves they make, we're going to have Coach Dean do the X's and O's and, and just do what he does best, and he does it well, folks. So follow him. Check out his work on Giants Country. Coach Dean, as always, pleasure having you on. Hope to have you on again as we go through uh, the next few weeks. Absolutely. Thank you. I really do appreciate it. All right. All right, Giant fans, that's going to do it for us here on the Locked on Giants podcast. Make sure you tune in tomorrow. I'm going to have a sports doctor on. We're going to talk injuries. I promise you guys the injury show that's coming up tomorrow on the Locked on Giants podcast. Thank you for making us your first re- your first listen of the day or your first watch. And we will see you tomorrow.